The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Podcast Hardware Edition. In this episode, we have the latest AV news. I talk about a couple of pieces of technology that have been impressing me this week in my regular gadget roundup. And in our look ahead to Bristol Sound and Vision, Phil Hinton chats to Sim 2 and Yamaha. This week's Audio Visual News. We start this week with what could be the end of Freeview HDTV before it even begins. Industry watchdog Ofcom has decided not to put aside frequency space to extend the digital terrestrial service into high-definition broadcasting when the analog network shuts down in 2012. This has consumer electronic companies and the industry in general despairing, as it effectively means the highest bidder wins. It would appear that Ofcom has been instructed by the Treasury to sell off all available frequencies to those who can pay the most, with no scope for terrestrial broadcasters being able to compete in the auction. Ofcom's report, which was completed in May 2006, before the launch of HD services in the UK, does not take into account the growing HD user base or the huge numbers of HD-ready screens now being sold. The BBC didn't get its proposed licence fee additions, and lack of commercial income for the other broadcasters means they've no spare millions to attempt to bid for space. Sony UK has even urged their dealers to write to Ofcom's director and even the Secretary of State to make their feelings known. Ofcom's consultation period ends in March 2007, and if things stay as they are, there'll be no high-definition free-to-air service in the UK ever. So, podcast listeners and AV Forums members, this is your time to act. What can we do to solve this problem? After all, we are the consumers of this country. Why not tell us what you think we should do? And we'll follow up on the story next week. Moving on, and it appears to be an unlikely alliance, but Burger King and Microsoft have had a whopping success, if you'll forgive the pun, with their latest promotional tie-in. Burger Kings across America have been running an Xbox promotion, giving consumers the chance to purchase games such as Pocket Bike Racer, Big Pumpin' and Sneak King for just $4 when purchased with a value meal. This has seen all things Xbox explode recently, with gamers also getting a taste for a bacon double or two in the process. Around 3.2 million games and meals have been sold to date. And with such a successful campaign, it will only be a matter of time before such promotions hit UK burger establishments. Satellite broadcaster Sky has announced that it truly did have a festive period this year. Trading figures released have seen the Sky subscriber base jump by 183,000 to 8,441,000. This also included nearly 1.97 million new Sky Plus timeshifters joining the fold. And it also appears that Sky HD has doubled the number of users in the run-up to Christmas, as people took advantage of their new HD-ready TVs by adding HD pictures to their packages. All this good news culminated in the announcement of Sky's latest on-demand service, Anytime, which launches in March. This will allow time-shifting of Sky's most popular programming, and we'll see programs being pushed into Sky Plus boxes via the reserved hard drive space created for the service. This means never missing that favourite program ever again. Or at least, that's what the PR promises. 
it would appear that the fast-moving flat-panel TV market is doing Pioneer no favours at the moment, as poor financial results in plasma sales has meant the company postponing construction of its latest radical panel-making factory. The company used CES to announce plans both for greater PDP investment along with a new line of re-engineered plasma screens. The company now says that it will continue with its plan to introduce radical new plasma screens, but that any factory expansion is on hold. As a result, supplies of the new star screens are expected to be limited, but ironically, as plasma sales drop in Japan, the same is certainly not true in the European market, where sales actually rose slightly on previous years. We can only hope that the new revolution of plasma from Pioneer does indeed make it to UK shores. Interestingly, results from a recent survey by internet retailer Amazon.co.uk has shown that average Brits are gadget addicts who like indie rock music and buy their favourite TV shows rather than movies on DVD. Well, that's definitely me, anyway. Results published from the company's sales figures in 2006 show that more than 46% of consumers were buying TV shows compared to movies on DVD. The biggest selling DVD for the year was, predictably, Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest, and the most popular rental was The Constant Gardener. When it came to the top searches on the site, Nintendo came out on top, with 300,000 searches on the term Wii alone in December. Searches for Star Wars came second, with iPod taking third place. And in the world of gadgets, the Panasonic SD253 Breadmaker, with Nut Dispenser, was the top kitchen gadget, with the Best Gizmo Award going to the 1GB USB 2.0 high-speed data ferry flash drive from ByteStore, which beat the iPod hands down. Amazon.co.uk's managing director, Brian McBride, says that the survey into last year's sales provides a fascinating insight into the consumption habits of UK shoppers. And finally, with climate change hitting the headlines in the past few weeks, it appears that gadget fans could be causing more pollution than ever before. According to research sponsored by the Energy Saving Trust, UK customers will buy a staggering 30 million electrical items over the next six months. The spending spree is expected to continue, and as a consequence, the consumer electronics market will boom by a third between 2001 and 2009. The actual energy consumption rate has already gone up by 47% in the last decade alone. And while many products purchased will be replacements for existing items, figures also suggest that more and more households are adding even higher numbers of gadgets to their homes on a yearly basis. The Trust explained that at this rate, home electronics fans will be causing more consumption problems and adding to the ever-increasing pollution problems of the country. Kind of makes you feel warm inside, doesn't it? Of course, there was no mention of power stations, 4x4s on school runs and air travel, though. It seems that the Trust just forgot about that sector of the market. For daily AV Chat. AV Chat. Log in to avforums.com. The Bristol Sand and Vision Show 2007. So continuing our preview towards Bristol 2007, we have Mark Franks on the phone from Sim2. Hello, Mark. Hello, Phil. Very nice talking to you again. Well, we met up at London last year with the Sim2 demo. It was the first time that you'd put that demonstration together, and it was very popular, wasn't it? Indeed it was, yes. That's right. We had the uh, the room was full for every presentation that we ran, so uh, very nice to see so many people coming through. 
So before we actually start talking about the products that you will be showing at Bristol this year, maybe you can give us a little bit of history behind Sim2. Well, Sim2 are um, an Italian manufacturer. Uh, in fact, the uh, head office is based in an area very close to Venice, which is obviously a very beautiful part of the country. And uh, Sim2 themselves came out of the ashes of a very well-known uh, manufacturer called Celico. And Celico were the world's largest manufacturer of CRT projectors. Um, they decided to turn all this expertise uh, in projection to the then-fledgling home theatre market. And, in fact, Sim2 were the first to introduce a home theatre DLP projector. And because of this fantastic relationship that we have with Texas Instruments in terms of using their technology, it means that generally, when we're sort of pushing TI to improve the performance of their chipsets, when they do release the next generation, we are the first to implement it and uh, put it onto the market. So Sim2, we have a good long history of producing very, very good projection units. So moving on to Bristol, I understand um, there will be four models on show. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the first one is the D35, is that correct? That's right. In fact, we are going to... Um, the, the four models will be split um, around the sort of venue. Um, our suite is actually on the 10th floor. It's called the Presidential Suite sounds very grand, uh, but in fact consists of two smallish, in fact um, what you call an average living room size um, space in, in these two rooms. So in fact what we're going to be showing in our own area will be the little baby Domino 35 and its bigger brother the Domino 80. And uh, what this enabled people to do really is to see rather than going into say a dedicated theatre with lots and lots of seating in there, it'll be more like their living room. And, in fact, it give people a chance to really um, kind of enter the HD debate, given that uh, one product that we have is an HD-ready unit with a 720 progressive picture, and one is a 1080 progressive picture. And it gives people a good chance to see really what the differences are. And we'll be showing, obviously, comparable material on both units so that people can really make a choice of, um, of, of where they'd like to, to go with HD. And your second room there is going to have what? This will have the Domino 80, the 1080 unit. Um, so this will be, um, as I say, a comparison really to the 720 room, which will be next door to it. Okay, so moving on from there, um, you've got two other models, I understand, that are on show at Bristol. That's right, that's right. We will be having the, um, the C3X model, that's the three-chip 720 unit, and that will be used in um, the... Uh, the conservatory area, which is um, in line with um, the Wilson Banesh demonstration area. So Wilson Banesh will be providing their loudspeakers and electronics, and they'll obviously be using the C3X then to show off um, their home theatre capabilities. And will you be showing your top-of-the-line HT5000? The, uh, at the moment, we can say that um, the main demonstration area actually on the ground floor, um, which is conducted by What Hi-Fi magazine, um, are very likely to be, and as far as we know, this is confirmed, using the HD5000 to show the best in HD as a kind of ultimate home theatre system for you know, the many visitors there that want to see exactly what can be achieved, really. So moving back to the D35, for those who are not in the know, um, what's the main features of the D35, and, and what, what are you aiming that projector at? Uh, well, that projector in our particular range is, is what we call the entry level, so it's a way of buying into the SIM2 quality uh, of projectors. Uh, it's a very small unit, so it fits into any domestic environment, 
and it is an HD-ready unit and has all the sockets that you're required to um, plug into a Sky HD box or an HD DVD player or Blu-ray player and existing DVD players, of course. Um, but it is a way of, of getting into sort of SIM2 quality and buying into that sort of quality within our range. And the D80 is what could be considered your entry-level 1080p projector, is that correct? Indeed, that's right. Um, it's in fact a, a super domino, if you like, <laughs> simple description. It's the 1080 version of the Domino 35. So it's now gone to um, 1920 by 1080 resolution. And obviously then uh, gives you the second HD standard, which um, everyone is now familiar with, which is 1080p. Uh, and I say, because we're having the two rooms running side by side, it does give people an ideal opportunity to see you know, the best of, of both worlds, really, in terms of uh, entry-level products. Just looking at the market in general for a moment, Mark, um, there's a lot of 1080p machines coming onto the market this year. Uh, we've seen the likes of Sony, JVC are coming online um, in the next month or so. And then you, along with your D80 out there, why should people look at DLP technology compared to the, the other technologies out there? Well, there's lots of arguments for and against each and every technology that's around, but um, we believe DLP does offer the best combination of, sort of performance, longevity, and you know development, really. Um, as I say, we've worked very long and hard with um, the Texas Instruments with DLP technology, and like anything else, nothing is absolutely perfect, but I think it has the right combination of you know, performance and longevity and reliability that uh, that we're very happy with. I think one thing to say on the 1080 um, sort of plethora of products that are now coming into the market is that where you get a lot of extra resolution coming from, whether it's a, you know an LCD-based chip or a DLP chip, in terms of the pixel resolution, that has to be matched by the quality of the optics to really benefit and show all of that extra detail. And SIM2 products have always used the best quality optics which is why they may not necessarily be the cheapest products on the market, but they do give you know, a precise performance with the chipset. Mark, another area which um, seem to have definitely been a, a market leader is in the, the anamorphic projection uh, camp. Now, this is a camp that I've really sort of moved towards as, as being the ultimate in uh, home cinematic uh, experience. Um, how, how is that line going for you? I understand you offer it as an optional extra uh, the ESCO 3 lens, is that correct? That's right. We, we have, uh, in fact, we are the um, distributor in the UK for the ISCO optics um, range of, of products. Um, the ISCO 3 is the kind of um, the best lens that they make for anamorphic projection. Um, in fact, I think it is the, the what's used in the cinemas, in fact. Um, the quality of that lens as a piece of optical engineering is quite staggering. Um, and that reflects in the price of it, of course. But um, as with all things projection, because you're taking um, a picture and magnifying it so big, um, everything really has to be pin sharp, and the focus has to be excellent, and there should be no kind of optical distortions in the path at all. So this is why we went with the ISCO um, the lens. But uh, we've got, uh, oh, I can't, can't think of the exact sales figures on this, but it has taken off enormously as have sales of the matching uh, screen types. Obviously, it's a great idea to have a screen that you can open up to 235, you know, cinema scope size, and also mask down completely to the 16 by 9 size for, for normal viewing, uh, you know, for TV, sports, and uh, some 16 by 9 DVD material. So um, we believe, you know, the ultimate kind of uh, cinema would have 
a 235 cinemascope capability projector and screen in it, just simply because it gives it a large visual impact, which is precisely what you see in the cinemas. Now, we've seen it from the likes of Sim 2 and also Runco have jumped on there with their CineView projectors. Is this where projection is going in the home, or do you think it will remain at the high end? Um, I think possibly the limiting factor will be the cost of optics. I know there'll be, you know, again, there'll be lots of um, optical solutions offered on the market, which will be probably considerably cheaper than the ISCO option, but um, it's going to be one of those things where, is it worth doing if you're going to get lots of distortions and you know, picture aberrations, or is it just worth staying with you know, the black bars and having a letterbox effect, but at least everything being sharply focused and no distortion? So I think it probably will be staying high-ish end, just simply because of the cost of the lens and the screen combinations, but certainly not out of the reach of, uh, of somebody who's, who's a good enthusiast. And I suppose the, the following question there is, are we ever likely to see a 235 native panel? Well, um, that's a very interesting question, and one that has been put to us, and we in turn have been putting it to um, Texas Instruments. Um, I suppose the the fact that most material is 16 by 9, even now, um, it really is film material that's shown in uh, 235. Um, I suppose it's, it's a good debate, but it's certainly something that we've um, been looking at, because uh, it does make perfect sense, of course, to have the correct resolution panel. Um, the only thing I will say is that um, it'll obviously be, uh, or parts of the panel will be redundant while using it for 16 by 9 whereas in the opposite case, you can fill the panel with a 235 picture in a vertically stretched mode, um, and then using these anamorphic lens systems, um, you know, optically stretch as they do with, uh, with film, because uh, as you probably know, in cinemas, the 35mm film is vertically squeezed. Uh, so we're simply reproducing that on the, on the home market. So, Sim 2, is there uh, anything which is coming up in the future which you can maybe give us a little hint at? Well, um, we can't give too much away, of course. Things are sort of commercially sensitive. But we can say that 1080 is obviously the future of projection. Um, we believe that uh, even though there's not a lot of material around at the moment, 1080 progressive is the kind of um, the ultimate aim of, of most broadcasters and uh, DVD producers and even games producers as well. So we will have uh, this year the widest range, we believe, of any manufacturer um, of these 1080p units. So we'll have a, a great range for people to uh, make a choice from. Well, I'm looking forward to Bristol. Um, I'm not sure about yourself, Mark. Are you heading along? Uh, definitely. We, we love getting involved. We love meeting the public, talking about all things projection, and seeing people you know, really pleased with the things that we're doing there. So, yeah, we'll definitely be there, and uh, we'll be enjoying ourselves. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll all meet up at Bristol. <laughs> and thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us on the AV podcast today. No, my, my pleasure. Thank you. For Real AV Talk. This is the AV Podcast. And finishing off our look at Bristol this week, we have Terry Murphy from Yamaha on the phone. Welcome, Terry. Yeah, hi, Phil. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, and I understand you're all gearing up for Bristol, so what can we expect from Yamaha this year? Well, Bristol's always quite a, a strange show for us because we're never quite sure if it's the uh, last show of the season or the first one of the season. It kind of uh, fits at a strange time in February. But it's always been a, a very good one for us. This is actually their 20th anniversary, and we've actually been there for all 20 shows. So we're uh, quite pleased with what we've got down there today. We've uh, the first actual showing in terms of full setup and full demonstration of our uh, RXV 2700 uh, AV receiver. So that should be uh, quite a nice little preview, actually, running from just a normal stereo 
bit of multi-channel audio, a um, bit of multi-channel film, and then hopefully some high-def audio as well. So it should be quite a nice little feature on that. And also we will be featuring the DVD player, which is DVDS 2700, uh, and that will also basically feed into the RXV 2700. But the beauty of it really, Phil, is we've got a brand new speaker. It's called the Suavo One, and this is the first of a new concept for us in the sense that it's been a five-year project to actually get this uh, speaker up and running. Originally, it was designed just for standard international launch, but fortunately, we've actually managed to get it to be a UK tune. So this is quite a premium for us, actually. This is the first time in, well, really since the NS1000 monitors back in 1974 that we've actually had what we would consider a true monitor speaker and sort of reference level. Should retail for about £2,000, and it's coming in a light birch. And we've actually got these down as a normal stereo part for demonstration, and there's a good old-fashioned bit of audio visual as well. So we're really pleased to actually have those there. So let's discuss the speaker. It, that's a, a, a big move for you as a company. So what was the thinking behind bringing that into the UK and what's the market that you're aiming that speaker at? Well, the speaker market's always been quite a, a stable market. It's such a very highly competitive market um, with the likes of uh, some of the key sort of British guys there. But we've been renowned for making very good speakers in the early days. And to be fair, we've probably kind of moved our interest a little bit more towards the specialist audiovisual market. Uh, and the speaker market we've kind of let slip behind us. As I say, the NS1000 was our mainstay uh, in its highlight, and that sort of represented a, a fine quality monitor speaker for many years. But we started, well, probably our third uh, key factory um, throughout various different parts of the globe now, uh, down in Indonesia, and this is purely a loudspeaker factory. The bonus we have there, of course, is they've got all the craftsmen from the woodwork side of the uh, factory. So not only do they create sort of, you know, fine boats, fine furniture, fine grandfather clocks as well, but also the, the speaker cabinets are unique and we can actually change the design to uh, suit what we need. This is very much a high-end speaker. It retails for £2,000, uh, has no parallel sides on it at all. It's basically a three-way um, two-driver for a woofer setup and also a base reflex design for the woofer, but then really a sealed cabinet um, for actually the tweeter and the mid-range driver. A lot of effort's gone into it. It uses superb drivers and the sound quality is quite superb. The other mainstay is really, well, you know, we have many, many speakers uh, and what can we do to make this different? And, and the name Suavo is actually Italian for sweet voice. And actually you'd be hard pushed to get a bit of vocal clarity through on any other speaker out there at the moment. So this is sort of hand on heart, one of the first speakers in a long, long time. I'm happy to put it up against any competition that's out there. So you'll be showing that at Bristol. What's the setup that that will be? Will that be a hi-fi setup? That will be predominantly a hi-fi setup for the first part of the demonstration. Uh, but as you know, Phil, the guys who come along to this show are ardent AV fans as well. Uh, and it's always difficult trying to work out whether you become a master of one or sort of uh, try and get involved with every. So we've got a very nice little audio set up for two channel to start with, and then we will move over to a little bit of audio visual as well, but all the time using the Suavo uh, one speakers as a reference to actually get the sound across. It's uh, certainly something that's been noticed in the industry recently is the, the move back towards hi-fi and two-channel sound. It seems to be for many years it was multi-channel, all the way but now i think people are tended to move back towards hi-fi have you noticed that well the move towards hi-fi i mean it depends how you look if you look at all the industry figures that are out there i mean the the hi-fi industry is perhaps decreasing a lot less than the av industry but people's lifestyles are changing you know the portable media market is really dictating how people initially look to music and it's just what we can then do to encourage the public to actually then enjoy the benefits of the portable media but in a more sort of hi-fi more stereo environment um, to be honest with you, we don't do ourselves any favours or industry. You know, if you take the, 
plasma market, we've sort of came that together now that it's just a commodity. You can buy a DVD player for £10 from your local Asda store. There's not a lot in terms of products within the industry that we don't hack to get on price to try and get better price point across with more and more features. So at least the hi-fi side of life, it's there about just maintaining the sound quality. And to be fair, even on our AV amplifiers, we've had a UK tune policy for the best part of six years now to try and get across the hi-fi element on all the AV amplifiers that we do. Not least the DSP AX759, which is exclusive to UK and is a fine sounding AV amplifier in its own right. So sound, no matter how you look at it, is really important. It's just a matter of trying to convince the consumer now that, hey, you know, there's your portal media side out there, but also you must get a handle on actually trying to get the best out of the rest of your music as best you can. Moving on to um, some new products which are hitting the market at the moment, and we've yet to see Yamaha move in any way on this, but you've got HD, DVD, and Blu-ray hitting the market. It looks like it's going to be a big year for both formats. What's Yamaha standing on things, and, and who are you supporting, if anybody? Well, certainly at the moment, we're actually uh, a little bit of sitting on the fence, but our favoured format would actually be the Blu-ray. We actually feel that the, the versatility it offers, the flexibility, the data capacity... And just suits the needs of the changes in the in the industry at the moment. And as future formats and other developments are coming across, uh, then actually we feel the Blu-ray is better supported. What's causing us more concern at the moment, to be honest, and I touched on it earlier, is just the price erosion already. We're down from £1,000 to £600 to £500. Uh, and we haven't really got a player really established out there in the marketplace. Um, and you can just see it, it fall into another commodity market. It, it's one thing that... You know, I can walk out down the road, I can buy a pair of shoes that cost more than an AV amplifier nowadays. It, it, it's a crazy market we're getting ourselves into. And a lot of this stuff is enormous in terms of development cost. Uh, and actually trying to get that out at a premium product for a premium facilities and, and really just trying to get the, the needs of the consumer across within the product actually does cost money. And yes, it does actually cost money to then purchase that product. So we're very mindful of the fact that hopefully the industry won't destroy itself in this supposed battle between the HD DVD and the Blu-ray market before it even gets out there. A lot of market commentators are, are saying that the fact that there's two formats is actually causing major problems. Do you see combo players coming along and maybe helping shore up the market and helping the consumer with choice? LG have already released a combo player. Yes, it has its faults, but do you see the market moving in that direction? I think logically, if I was a consumer, you wouldn't want to buy um, sort of two different players, as it were. We've seen the old uh, Betamax and VHX battle uh, in the past. To an extent, you saw the same with DVD audio and SACD, and they sort of kind of uh, caned each other as they went. It's very difficult uh, as a manufacturer, you produce a player and you're relying on the software to come through. Um, the biggest argument, if you like, at the moment is whether or not Blu-ray becomes a region um, sort of coded um, essence on the actual uh, software. If that's the case, then that will also start to slow up that format. Certainly, um, a dual player is the best way to be, but of course, dual players cost an awful lot of money from a licensing point of view to have both formats on there. So again, you know, it's a price to pay, but th- there will generally be a higher price point for such a product, but at least it'll be in the same direction. You still then have the issues with software. I mean, Time Warner still um, hope to put out a dual-format disc, uh, and that logically, from the likes of the big guys of you know HMVs, versions, and so forth, is much easier then for them to stock. The difficulty, of course, from a consumer is walking into a shop and knowing what's where and where they actually find a Blu-ray or HD DVD disc. Um, so hopefully it will stabilise and actually give us a, a dual-format player for the future. Terry, just moving back to Yamaha's products for the year, is there uh, anything you can give us any tidbits on? Yeah, we've got uh, quite a revolutionary-type product out there. I mean, we certainly have our digital sound projector, which is the uh, only true 5.1 format out there 
from a single box. It's not a um, sort of a pseudo surround as per some of the others out there, which take a, a 5.1 signal, decode it to two channels, and then sort of mess around to give you a surround sound. Ours will actually give a true 5.1 from an input to a decoding to actually sending 5.1 uh, channels of sound out and sort of reflecting that through the room. And that's offering a, a fantastic solution to those who can't afford the true 5.1 or can't experience the true 5.1 setup with speakers, just for size, cables, or whatever else. So that's going from strength to strength. And one other area I mentioned earlier about the portable media, we've got uh, the world's first uh, 20 watt output from a USB driven um, device. So you've got a, a lovely little, um, I suppose it's a not short of an A5 piece of paper, superb audio sound, uh, plugs into your laptop, um, plugs into the mains adapter, plugs into batteries if you like, and you can play anything from your laptop, your DVDs on it, you can play your um, uh, output from your phone for audio, your iPod, uh, your little creative, uh, and it's just a fantastic little device which meets the needs of uh, um, the many who are out there for portable media. One key point for us, especially where our dealers are predominantly independent specialist space, there's a lot of customers who actually don't go into that type of dealer um, for an iPod accessory because they don't assume they'll actually stop them. Um, so it's trying to, for us as a manufacturer supporting our dealer base to actually get those customers to walk through that specialist dealer base in any way we can help to support them. Tanya, Yamaha have always been renowned for their high-end AV amplifiers and we've seen the Z9 for a number of years now. Is there uh, any movement in the top end? Do you see yourself spinning out a, another high-end amplifier or maybe even a processor in the future? It's a strange one, actually, Phil, because you've got... The, the top-end market is very strange. The price points originally used to be about 2500 and they crept up to three. Now they're about four or somewhere around that sort of figure. And it's more about a flagship status to actually really the number of units that sell out there. Z9's been out there and quite stable for us, actually. Um, it's, it's quite a sort of still a flagship area for us in terms of what its capabilities are and what it can do. But certainly, as you know, the formats change, HDMI, you've got different versions out there. People like to log on to the uh, sort of the, the catchwords. If you take HDMI, for example, um, it's fantastic, must have HDMI. The disappointing thing, of course, is that many of the uh, consumers are not too sure quite what HDMI will actually do for them. Uh, and unfortunately, some of the esteemed magazines aren't out there describing the HDMI as either a switcher or a repeater in, in a true clear format. And same as it's also confusing with uh, many of the up-conversion uh, or actually upscaling options that are on these amps. Uh, they're quite different things and obviously mean lots to different people. All that taken into consideration, um, and back to your sort of direct question, then yes, we're hopefully throughout this uh, coming year, we hope to have a replacement for a Z9. Um, what will be on it at the moment, from the tick list I've got and uh, the little specs I've seen, I'm pretty excited. So hopefully uh, watch this space, and uh, when it comes through, um, also the consumers will be uh, very happy with the results, I think. There seems to be an awful lot of confusion at the moment with uh, both high-def formats to the actual sound that's available on the discs. You got everything from DTS, Master Audio, through to... Dolby True HD, etc. Do you think we're we're getting it to a case here now where there's too much confusion? And would Yamaha be bringing any products which would help with the decoding of, of these formats? Certainly, to support the latest sort of high def uh, Dolby Digital and uh, DTS um, formats, that will also be supported by the products. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's so much confusion out there at the moment, just in terms of you know what formats are available. Um, you know, we have customers ringing up all the time saying, "Oh, I've got." 1080p on my DVD player, um, that's going to give me the best picture quality on my, my TV. And if they've got a 576p TV, then actually, no, it won't. Um, there's a lot of misconception about what pixels fit into what shape on a TV and how good the picture's going to be. Unfortunately, upscaling, upconverging, and all the others aren't necessarily the best route to get the best picture. 
Um, so there's a lot of confusion out there, both for manufacturers, if you like, trying to keep up to date uh, with the dealers who hear different versions from different manufacturers. Uh, and then, of course, the consumers who are reading so many different magazines who don't necessarily always get it right from the point of view of dealers who sometimes aren't too sure and even manufacturers who aren't too sure. So, yeah, it's very confusing for the uh, consumer. We actually do, in the case of HDMI, uh, a completely unbiased factual um, HDMI booklet on our website, which uh, we've had great success with many consumers just trying to identify what it is and what it does, uh, and also dealers alike. So we're, we're trying to do our bit to clarify the cause, but it's a, it's a pretty volatile market out there. One area of the market that Yamaha moved into a few years ago was front projection. Do you see that market growing for you? Yeah, we do um, quite a few of the uh, DLP projectors. Uh, DLP for us was always a, a highly sort of regarded and high-quality format. To be honest with you, though, that's, that's become a highly volatile market. I mean, I remember the good old days where you used to launch a product and it sit there for two years before you changed it. Um, projectors are a key example, uh, and certainly even the mainstay guys of the projector world, we sort of uh, dabbled at the high end and sort of moved forward. And while we do three projectors in the range at the moment and they're doing quite well for us, the entry-level market for a customer walking in who's had his 32-inch uh, um, tube TV suddenly sees a 16-inch wide screen looking fantastic. Wow, he goes out and buys a projector. Not necessarily the best quality at the lower price points, but that area is just so volatile now, and the changes every nine months of the products. Um, to be honest, it's an area which we struggle to keep up with in terms of keep changing and the reason why you would keep wanting to change. Uh, it's back to the uh, comment I made earlier regards to what pixels fix what pixel. If you've got a DVD which is a 576 interlaced, um, one of the natural progressions up is a 576 um, progressive, and you will get a better picture in a lot of cases there than running at 720p or 1080i. It's all down to formats and really what fits what. With the buzzword being 1080p at the moment in the market, um, do you see yourselves bringing products um, onto the market, display products onto the market to? quench the, the need to go 1080p? Probably in regards to visual products uh, in terms of display devices, probably not, to be honest. There's enough out there now that's um, pushing the market and, again, at lower the price points. Um, it's a bit of a strange one. And, again, it's that area where already we have a, a plasma, which is a, a 1080i, uh, which is actually you know, pretty much pixel perfect for the, the 1080 type image. Um, so it's a lot of confusion with regards to what's out there. And, again, you're looking for a DVD player as a source. Uh, Sky themselves only offer the 720p, uh, 576 or 1080i, so you're limited now to the stage where where's that 1080p coming from. So if you're going to upscale somewhere, most time it's going to be on your DVD player. Is that upscaler better than the one on the actual um, AV amplifier you can listen to, or is it better than the one that's going to end up being on your projection device? Um, so you've almost got processing on three different levels. Um, everyone's trying, sort of trying to outdo each other a little bit. It's one of those where... Your earlier comment, is there too much going on out there? There's a lot of confusion at that level. Uh, and 1080p, yeah, fantastic if you've got a true 1080 source, but there isn't a lot of hardware that actually supports then the software, which supports then the video processing. So at the moment, yeah, it's good for the future, but not necessarily something I'll be rushing out to buy. The big thing at the minute is the digital home as well and integration and coming together of all different technologies. Which way are Yamaha going with the, the full integration of the home system, you know, multi-room systems, etc.? Well, we've had uh, an AV center as a prototype in Japan for a couple of years now, actually, um, supporting all the latest formats. Um, the original sort of platform was also there in, in terms of a Vista compatible and so forth. So now a lot of these changes are hitting the marketplace that now to sort of develop that a little bit further forward. The integration of the AV into the home, uh, even our basic levels, we offer sometimes sort of one, two or three room uh, option for uh, distribution of sound. 
um, all of our units are RS232 controllable. So a lot of the um, Crestrons or the AMX controllers out there will actually integrate those within the system. We're finding quite a lot uh, at the um, build level, uh, and unfortunately that's an area where you know there's, there's specialist guys out there who enter at that sort of level, and we're more of a, an ancillary add-on, to be fair. Um, so we're mindful of the new products coming along, but certainly the current products are more of an ancillary and will actually fit into those integrated systems. Um, but certainly as a, a raw integrated system to start with, that's something we don't have. Tanya, just to wrap up, where do you see the industry going in the next three years? We've seen a lot of change in the last two years. Where do you see it all heading towards? Well, if I'm honest, I think this is probably one of the um, only times I sit there and say, well, I'm not too sure. Um, the plasma's been a fantastic driving force for the whole industry in terms of sales and also just sort of edifying the uh, the marketplace. You've also got the portable media boom. Um, the traditional sort of hi-fi audio-visual side, they're all kind of shrinking markets because everyone's needs are slightly different in the way their, their lifestyles are living, the leisure time they're spending actually listening to music, listening to films. Um, the social scene's uh, much greater now with some of the bars, clubs out there as well. So I think it's trying to find the key product area that we, we need to integrate all of that together so that everyone can enjoy this new sort of a gadget lifestyle, but also try and get the uh, the leisure side built into it. Um, it's a difficult one to call, to be honest. I mean, plasma is now at the stage where it's a, it's a commodity item. And there's so many out there at so many cheap price points um, that actually you, know, you can go out, have a night in the town and spend more than you would if you went out and bought a flat screen TV. So... It's a bit of an awkward one to call. Blu-ray HD DVD should be the saving grace, but really the price reduction on that could make it difficult for many dealers to uh, find their way. Um, traditional hi-fi, traditional uh, audio-visual, there's uh, a shrinking market, but they're very much a steady business for many of the dealers out there. So uh, not too sure would be the answer. Terry, I'm looking forward to uh, meeting you at Bristol, and uh, thanks very much for taking the time to join us on the AV podcast today. Thank you. No pleasure. Take care, Phil. Bristol Sound and Vision Show 2007. Jason Bradbury. As regular listeners know, I often like to tell you what I've been up to in the world of technology, and this one's been an interesting one um, for several reasons. Firstly, because I got my hands on Vista uh, for the first time, um, and uh, secondly, because of a story I was asked to research and talk about for uh, Radio 5 on the BBC. I'll start with Vista first. Um, it was interesting because for me, it's something of an epiphany in that I was a PC addict for, for as long as I can remember until about six months ago. Previous to that, I had owned a Mac, which I'd used for video work and editing. Um, but I think it's fair to say that I was a true blue uh, fan of Microsoft. Um, you know, I kind of founded my career based on my experience and knowledge of uh, the Microsoft operating system and and so it's it's quite amazing that when I got my hands on Vista, uh, I was A, not particularly bothered, um, and B, not particularly impressed. Let me put that in the context, because I don't want to be unfair to a production team who've obviously uh, spent an awful lot of time trying to produce the next generation of Microsoft operating systems to the best of their ability. It has got some really interesting features. From a security point of view, it's clearly a much more switched-on environment although it couldn't be much worse than XP. Certainly visually, I like the look of it, but this really is kind of my biggest bugbear in that visually, I think it owes too much to OS X. And as far as I'm concerned, Microsoft's genius has always been about their ability to innovate. I think Gates has always, despite his, his billions of dollars, 
as always been at the head of a company that bring new things to the market that lead the fold that kind of light the way and what i think is really interesting is that while apple have also always done that Apple have remained kind of on the sidelines. The real main attraction has always been Microsoft. And now I think, having looked at Vista, there's a real opportunity for Apple to move into the marketplace uh, with a competitively priced set of uh, desktop and laptop computers and based purely on the the ergonomic and the the design pedigree of their OSX-based machines actually give Microsoft a run for the money. A lot of people mistakenly believe, of course, that um, already Apple provide a, you know, a genuine competition for Microsoft. Uh, but I was interested to note in a script I was given uh, to, talk, to talk up this week that Microsoft's domination of the operating system market is something like 95% coverage worldwide. That final 5% is, is then divided basically between OS X and Linux-based systems. So that certainly does put things in perspective. And finally, the other argument um, which has always been in favour of Microsoft is that it's, certainly for the last few years, it's been a friendlier environment for multimedia uh, that's come from uh, all different kinds of sources. Whereas OS X has traditionally, through the iTunes interface at least, uh, made it very difficult to put uh, any media that you haven't purchased from them onto your computer. Now with Windows Media Player 11, which is central to the the kind of video and and audio aspects of of Vista, uh, they've really tightened up their uh, DRM to the extent that certain files that I was able to play uh, on my my own computer at home, um, when I tested Vista on a friend's computer upstairs, I couldn't play the media that previously I'd been able to play. So I think it's going to be very interesting in the next few months to see what this does to Microsoft's image, what the what users think about it, um, and whether it marks a sea change for their domination of the operating system market. I think all these factors are going to make it an interesting year for Microsoft, and I'm going to watch from the sidelines with interest to see if it affects their domination of the operating system market. The only other thing I wanted to mention was a piece I I was asked to put together for the Warwickshire Show on Radio 5 Live this week about the change in Google's algorithm to try and stamp out the practice of Google bombing. Most people will be familiar with Google bombing um, because of the campaign against George Bush. Basically, for the last couple of years, if you put the the words miserable failure into Google, it would take you to the biography of George Bush on the White House's own website. And I'm not going to go into details here about exactly how you do that and how Google bombing is organised because most of you will know all about it. The point I'd like to make is how interesting it is that Google have decided to change their algorithm and change it at a fundamental level. I think it's really, really interesting. Now, obviously, I'm not claiming that they've done this because George Bush has had his nose pushed out of joint. Um, I think there are lots of examples of Google bombing that have led to Google's decision to do this. But, you know, when you when you put that in the context of what they did in China in terms of um, allowing the Chinese government to veto certain websites, it's just really interesting to witness the the evolution of the world's most favourite website from kind of, I don't know, idealistic hippie to uh, corporate giant. It's something to look out for. If you're interested, then uh, obviously, uh, if you'll forgive the irony, you know, Google it and you should find all the information you need. And I'll probably post about it on my blog in the next couple of days. That's it for me. More news from my side of the fence in next week's podcast. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie. Thanks. This is the AV Podcast.
And that wraps up the Hardware Podcast for this week. This is Jason Brambury saying thanks for listening, stay subscribed, and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.